Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. All right, we're going to continue our series called Let No One Deceive You. We're going to be a little bit like we were during the shutdown here, and we'll try and just engage and remember what it was like to preach with nobody in the room. But today we're going to be focusing about the Antichrist army, a little bit about the end time army, so we'll be getting into some detail about that. Here at the Rhodes, we believe the Word of God is the truth, so we get excited whether anybody's in the room or not. We get excited about our Bibles because we believe there is only their hope in the Word of God. So if you got them, come on, E. Rhodes family. We got to hear it in every household. Get your Bibles out. Let's open them up to Ezekiel chapter 38. Woo! Ezekiel 38. A little bit different when nobody's in the room, but I'm trusting in your homes you brought the noise. Sermon notes are available on the YouVersion uh, Bible app, and uh, they'll also be available their location in Mount Carmel if you'd like to get those. I encourage you again, bring your Bible. You need to have a relationship with your Bible. You need to know what the Bible says. If we're going to be successful as Christians, we can't have it just because we have a Bible in our homes. We have to have it in our hearts. This is what God said. Again, we're talking a lot about current events, and some people think that we shouldn't be talking about things in the church, but uh, I believe the problem is that the church stopped addressing things in society and in culture, and that's how we got into difficulty. I just want to say thank you to some of the people who keep encouraging me and, and saying thank you for speaking about these things. We love it. We can't wait to hear more about it. Uh, it's very encouraging, and I appreciate that. Some people are being intimidated not to address current events in church because they're labeled as political. And, uh, but the problem is that just because we're addressing things that are happening in society doesn't mean it's political. It can be biblical and still address current events. People uh, a lot like to throw out the phrase conspiracy theory, and, and they do that to discredit and shut down people anytime they question the status quo or the promoted narrative. And uh, we're just not going to be afraid to at least address it and throw out another opinion. We're not saying that we have the the insider on the right way, but we're just going to say, why can't we ask questions? Why can't we wonder about it? You know, whether it's things going on with the virus, whether it's things going on in vaccines, whether it's things going on in politics, whether it's things going on wherever in our world, we got to be able to ask questions. I like how you're only, a, like right now going on, you're only a person of science if you believe a certain way about what's going on in the medical field or with the vaccine. That's, if you're, you can't be a person of science and not have a different opinion. Well, I, I don't believe that's accurate because there's people that have different opinions on things. So we, you can't be uh, in the church and you have different opinions about stuff. I believe we can. It's not Republican versus Democrat. What I'm talking about is Christ versus Antichrist. And I believe in the church we have to get back to speaking about current events so that Christians aren't deceived. Right now, Christians, I'm not worried about people that aren't Christians. They're, they're, they don't know. They're not, they're not going to be aware of the truth. I didn't know about the truth when I didn't know Christ. But I'm concerned about the church, where people in the church, they're starting to lose their morality, starting to change their values, starting to say that this is okay now and it's not wrong anymore. And we're losing a biblical standard and we're adopting a cultural standard where we're just adopting what the world says is okay is what we're saying is okay. We've got to get back to what the Bible says. General Douglas MacArthur, I don't know if you've heard of this guy, but he made this quote. I want to read it to you. Our threat is from the insidious forces working from within, infiltrated into positions of public trust, into journalism, the press, the radio, and the school, or we could add modern day TV, internet, social media, it seeks through covert manipulation of the civil power 
and the media of public information and education to pervert the truth, impair respect for moral values, suppress human freedom and representative government, and in the end, destroy our faith in our religious teachings. This evil force, with neither spiritual base nor moral standard, rallies the abnormal and subnormal elements among our citizenry and applies internal pressure against all things we hold decent and all things that we hold right. The type of pressure which has caused many Christian nations abroad to fall and their cherished freedoms to languish in the shackles of complete suppression. As it has happened there, it can happen here. Our need for patriotic fervor and religious devotion was never more impelling. There can be no compromise in the preservation of freedom and religion. It must be all or nothing. This is General MacArthur in 1952. How much more do we need it in 2021? We coming. We coming for our religious freedom and we ain't backing down. So I just want to give God all the glory and praise. Ezekiel chapter 38. I want to talk about this end time army a little bit. Get some current events in it. Verse 1 of Ezekiel 38. Again, this is the battle of Armageddon. This is a coalition of nations that attack Israel in the end. Who are they? That's the focus one we're talking about. Who are these people? Because we need to know who's coming against Israel. And we we need to know who's going to lose. Israel's going to win, and these nations are going to lose. Why is that important for you and I to know? So that we can know who do we align with and who do we not align with. People's going to call it political. It's biblical. Exodus 38, look at verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rush, against Gog of the land of Magog. So Gog is a specific person. From a specific place, of the land of Magog. Now, many have taught that the land of Magog is, is Russia. And it was a big deal. Commentaries and study, study Bibles started teaching this, that Magog was Russia. So everybody assumed, especially of us who grew up in the 80s, we remember the Soviet Union, that that's going to be the Antichrist. I don't believe that is the case. Josephus, a Jewish historian, identifies Magog as the land of the Scythians. And the Scythians encompassed Asia Minor, so it was part of the Soviet Union, but it's the Central Asian stage, uh, states, Turkmenistan, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, I don't want to start pronouncing all these, I'll, I'll mess them all up, Armenia, Georgia, Azerbaijan, I've got a slide there, we can bring it up, of all these nations, this is Central Asia, and this is the part that uh, when we're talking about the Scythians, talking about this area in general, and give you a little idea on where that, where that is. Verse 2. Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against them and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm against you, O Gog, the, the, sorry, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. Now notice this prince of Rosh. Here's another one that was taught that Rosh means Russia, but a lot of times that was just because it sounded like Russia. But the word Rosh in the Hebrew is a word that means head or chief, top or first. It's used 600 times in the Bible, and all but once it's referred to as chief, head, top, or best. Like Rosh Hashanah, it's the Jewish New Year, it's the chief day or the top day of the year. So it says the prince of Rosh, 
it shouldn't be translated like Prince of Rosh, like Rosh is a location. It, in my opinion, it should not be a capital R as a location. It should be translated this way, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Changes the definition there. So when you're reading that, that translation is important. It should be the chief prince or the top prince of Meshach and Tubal. So Gog is a specific person. And he's from the place of Magog, and he's the ruler of his dominion, which includes Meshach and Tubal. So where's Meshach and Tubal? Where is that? The Schofield Bible called these places the Russian cities Moscow and Tobolsk. Again, I think in large part because it sounded like it. But I don't think that's what, the, what we should be, build our ideology on. Meshach appears in the Assyrian text, again, going back from 1200 B.C. onwards, they aligned with Tubal, the musky people. Again, I don't want to bore you with this, but these people were dwelled in the area south of the Black Sea and the Caspian Seas in Ezekiel's day. So this was not up in Russia. This, again, if I bring up that map, is going to give you an idea. This is south of the Black Sea, west of the Caspian Sea. Again, look into Armenia, Azerbaijan, Georgia area, maybe even in the eastern Turkey. Those were where he's talking about the Meshach and Tubal. Let me give you a more biblical specific location in Genesis chapter 10. Now, this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. You remember Noah had a big boat? had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tyrus. The sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Tugarma. These, these names will be familiar. Notice what he's talking about, the sons of Japheth. Gomer, there's Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal. So he's talking about Meshach and Tubal, and we've got Meshach and Tubal and Magog all right there, the sons of Japheth. So now remember, Noah's ark landed in Turkey on the mountains of Ararat. And I brought up last week that the Garden of Eden could have also been located in Turkey. Is it any coincidence, just roaming around the earth that's flooded, that the ark just happened to land in Turkey? that could possibly also be the place where there happens to be the Garden of Eden where it all started. I'm just saying that's a pretty cool coincidence. Is it any coincidence that in Revelation, I brought it last week, that Satan's throne was in Pergamos, which was in Turkey? Let me give you some slide of Noah's sons. Here's a slide about the, uh, the sons of Noah, where they landed. The no Noah's Ark lands uh, up actually in Turkey. Uh, the arrow's not working there. It should be pointed up into the red area around Japheth, so we didn't get that, that slide didn't come in right, but that's okay. So that, it landed in Turkey, and so he got his sons split up in three areas. The red is Japheth, that went up into the Seleucid area of Alexander the Great that we talked about. Then Shem went into Saudi Arabia's territory, and then Ham went into Africa. That's where the three sons spread out and started populating the earth. So again, this is where it all started. Notice the geographical area lines up with where we've been talking about. Shem, Ham, and Japheth weren't in the United States of America. They were in the Middle East. All right, let's jump down to verse 4. 
says, I will turn you around. This is God telling this Gog of Magog. I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you out with all of your army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. So he's telling this army, hey, you're going to come at my people Israel. I'm going to put hooks in your jaws, and I'm going to turn you, and I'm going to lead you out. Now, who is this army? This is what's very important. Look at verse 5. He begins to specifically call out the people that are coming against Israel. Number one. Persia. Persia. Who is Persia? Persia is Iran. Many Iranians themselves call, or call themselves Persians to this day. I've got a map coming up uh, with Persia here. If you bring, bring that map up, it will show us where Persia is. Maybe, okay, yeah, it's in the red. You see in the red section, that's where Iran is. This is Persia. This is the area of Japheth, one of uh, Noah's sons. So what is Iran's position on Israel? What's Iran think about Israel? Iranian general Hosan Salami said this, this sinister regime, talking about Israel, must be wiped off the map and this is no longer a dream, but it is an achievable goal, Salami said. Not Salami like the meat, but... He added that the country Iran has managed to obtain the capacity to destroy the imposter Zionist regime four decades after the Iranian revolution. The second step of the revolution, again, this is coming from Iran, Persia. The second step of the revolution is the step that rearranges the constellation of power in favor of the revolution. Iran's Islamic evolution will be on top of this constellation, Salami said. Adding, in the second step, we will be thinking of the global mobilization of Islam. This is the strategy, this is the goal that Iran has. In 2016, President Obama gave Iran $1.7 billion in cash. Again, that's not a political statement. This is not Democrat versus Republican. This is just a statement. If Iran is one of the armies that's going to come against Israel, we should not be supporting Iran from a biblical standpoint. Forget your politics. I I don't care whether Republican or Democrat. If they start favoring Iran, I'm just going to point out they should not be doing that. Israel and the Palestinian divide. Bring up this map of Israel. Here's one of the reasons that we need to look at this. In our modern day, we're talking about the two states and separating Israel into two states. Here is the proposed uh, division, how they want to break up Israel. The, the brown part there is the proposed state of Palestine, where they want to give that to the Palestinians. This is a, an important area that they call the West Bank. Now, they call it the West Bank. The West Bank is supposed to be just the West Bank of, of the Jordan River, but they've encompassed it into the mountain range there. All of that brown area in that topographical map on the right shows you that this is a mountain range. Why is that important? Bring up the next slide. Because here's what can happen. If you give this area to the uh, West Bank, to them, maybe that map's not coming up. Okay, here's why that's important. Right now, where they're shooting missiles in Israel from... The, uh, from the West Bank and Gaza Strip, they're not able to reach the population. Uh, and I've got another one that uh, shows that, but on this mountain range that bring it, yeah, right, we'll just go with this one. This blue part is where it's like 70% of the population of Israel is located in that section and 80% of its industry. So if they were able to have the mountain range, now they can fire missiles right there from in that proximity and they can begin to hit the 70% of the population of Israel. We cannot be for a divided state of Israel and giving that to Palestine. 
Uh, let's go on to the next one. I, just t- I could talk about that part for a long time, but let's go to the n- next nation. Number one was Persia or Iran. Number two that calls out Ethiopia is going to come against Israel. Who's Ethiopia? Now, again, Ethiopia is the nation of Cush, south of Egypt, called Nubia or Sudan. It's not necessarily just the nation of, Is- of Ethiopia. Officially known as the Islamic Republic of Sudan could extend south into Somalia. Here's the picture of Ethiopia down in the bottom. This is where uh, Ham, one of Noah's sons, went. So Cush, you can't see it right there in the, in the green, probably from where you are, but that part is where the, we're talking about. This is the nations of Ethiopia or that region's going to come against them. In 2020, Sudan became the third Arab country to normalize relations with Israel as the United States and President Trump brokered a peace deal between them. So Sudan in 2020 came into a peace deal with Israel. But just because you had a peace deal with Israel doesn't mean that peace deal can't be broken. But just keeping you up to speed on that. I've got another map of Africa, maybe. Um, yeah, so here's again giving you the idea of where Kush is. It's in Sudan, in that area, Ethiopia to Somalia, that region of Africa is the area that we're talking about when the Bible says Ethiopia. And let's look at the third one, Libya. So we've got Iran, we've got that part of Africa, including uh, Sudan, Somalia, possibly part of Ethiopia, but mostly Somalia and Sudan because those are the Islamic nations. And Libya, he lists out Libya, or put is the, the Hebrew word. This is the region west of Egypt. Libya, Algeria, Morocco, Tunisia could all be included, but not necessarily. But let me give you the map again of Libya so you can see this uh, there in the green. So now we've got Persia, Iran on the right, Ethiopia of Ham's descendants here, and we also got Libya in that area up in northern Africa. If you go and bring up the African map, you can see a little bit better. The nation of Libya right there west of Egypt. This is one of those that's saying is going to come against Israel in this last day battle. So we got to have our awareness of what's happening in Libya. So what's going on in Libya? Well, in, two, in March of 2011, at Turkey and Qatar's direction, then-President Obama launched the military attack on Libya's Muammar Gaddafi, and he called it Operation Odyssey Dawn. But Turkey saw Odyssey Dawn as the Ottoman Dawn and knew it would be able to set all of North Africa ablaze with the Muslim Brotherhood Islamism in the wake of Gaddafi's elimination. So when we attacked Libya, and we thought we were getting rid of a a bad person in Gaddafi, all it was doing was opening the door, and Turkey was behind this, was uh, to bring in the Muslim Brotherhood, to bring in extreme Islamism into control of Libya. And so then Libya became the ground zero for Turkey's plan to exponentially expand its own Islamic State caliphate. Turkey knows that with its foothold on Libya, it will in time bring down the secularist Egypt and bring the 100 million Egyptians under its caliphatic jihad. With Egyptians Muslim under its control, Turkey will not only control North Africa, but the Suez Canal. By means of Libya, Turkey aims to control the entire Mediterranean basin, North Africa, and the Red Sea, the soft western underbelly of the Gulf states. Thus, for Turkey, Libya is not just Libya, but the very realization of Turkey's Islamic State Caliphate. Do you see how this is pointing together? The Bible is saying Libya is going to come together. It's already happening, and Turkey's moving in on this. Turkey continued by actively working to unseat secular Egyptian president Hosni Mubarak. 
through its Hamas-Gaza base of operations. Then, again, a President Barack Obama supported the Muslim Brotherhood instead of Egyptian President and ally to Israel, Hosni Mubarak. So he, again, people are going to get this and they're going to hear this and say, like, I'm bashing Obama. If President Trump or whatever Republican president were making these decisions to support these kind of people, I would be saying the same thing. We need to have the courage to be biblically supportive and not care about how it affects people politically. Some people are more loyal to their politics than they are to the Bible. And it's time for us to get off of our political alliances and get on our biblical alliance. Because it doesn't matter uh, what president is. It matters who are we supporting or who are we not supporting. So when we got rid of this Egyptian president who was loyal to Israel, all it did was open the door for the Muslim Brotherhood to come in and begin to control Egypt. In the wake of Turkey's coup in Egypt, a resplendent proto-caliph Erdogan unabashedly told the world what he really thought about Islamist Turkey and the newly Islamized Egypt. On September 13, 2011, then the Prime Minister Erdogan stated that an Egypt-Turkish alliance would form a force of 100 million people strong, and we are substantially surrounding the Mediterranean. This is the goal of Turkey, surrounding the Mediterranean. Now let's go into verse 6. Gomer and all of its troops, so Gomer's going to be there, Gomer, Gomer Pyle, and all of his troops, the house of Tugarma, from the far north and all of his troops, north, whenever it talks about north, remember the Bible's in, in, in Israel or Jerusalem or Jewish-centric book. So it's talking about the north, you're going north from Israel, north from Jerusalem. From the north and all his troops, many people are with you. So who's Gomer? Gomer is in Turkey, not in Russia or Germany. It's the land of the ancient Gemari of northern, north central Asia Minor, the Cappadocia or central Turkey. Tugarma was a city-state in eastern Anatolia, more specifically the southeastern part of Turkey near the Syrian border. I brought up a slide. Here's another one here for the land of Turkey where these names are. Hopefully, Gomer, here you see Mega, Gomer, Meshach, Tubal, Tugarma, all of these are located in Turkey. So these armies are coming against them. Now, let's, let's jump ahead. What's going to be the end of this? You're like, wow, all these people are coming against Israel. Don't be afraid. Let's look at verse 14 of Ezekiel 38. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog. So here's the word. Here's the message to the leader of this army that's going to come against Israel. Thus says the Lord God, on that day when my people Israel dwell safely with, uh, will you not know it? Then you will come from your place out of the far north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am hallowed in you, O Gog, before their eyes." Thus says the Lord God, are you he of whom I have spoken in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel, who prophesied for years in those days that I would bring you against them? And it will come to pass at that same time when God comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath I have spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. So that the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, all creeping things that creep on the earth, and all men who are, in, are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. <laughs> the mountains shall be thrown down 
The steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains, says the Lord God. He's going to call for a sword. He's going to call for weaponry against this Gog throughout all of his mountains. Every man's sword will be against his brother, and I will bring him to judgment, bringing Gog to judgment, with pestilence and bloodshed. I will rain down on him, on his troops, and on the many peoples who are with him, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire, and brimstone. Thus, I will magnify, this is God speaking, I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, then they shall know that I am the Lord." Anybody get excited about what God is going to do to defend Israel? He said, come against me all you want, God. Bring all your nations. Bring all your mighty truths. But I'm telling you, I'm going to rain down fire. I'm going to bring down hailstones. I'm going to destroy you. And then they will know that I am the Lord. Let me give you another example. Go to Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5. Jonah, it's right after Jonah. Jonah, Micah chapter 5. Some of these books, I'm going to give you some prophecy. Here, what's going to take place. I believe, again, this is why we need to know the Bible, because the Bible's going to tell us what's going to happen in the last days. We don't have to guess. Stop waiting for CNN, MSNBC, Fox, or whoever to tell you what's going to happen in the earth. Get your Bible out and say, we know which nation to follow. We know which group to follow. I don't have to have a political alliance. I need to have a Jesus alliance. Micah chapter 5. <laughs> Look at verse 5. And this one shall be peace when the Assyrians comes into our land, again, into Israel, the Assyrian, comes into our land. And we, when he treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princely men. Man, I don't have time to go into all this detail. Maybe I can do it in that later time whenever we talk about all this stuff. But it's talking about when this Assyrian comes in, Seven shepherds and eight princely men. This is talking about some kingdoms. Not everybody's going to serve the Antichrist. There's going to be nations. Seven shepherds and eight princely men are going to come to Israel's aid and help and support them. My prayer is that the United States will be one of those, but I'm just, that doesn't specifically say who they are. They shall waste with the sword the land of Assyria and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. Thus he shall deliver us, being God, from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and when he treads within our borders. Now who's the Assyrian? Let me give you a slide. So this is a, a picture of the Assyrian as the one that's going to attack Israel. Here's the, remember the Assyrian Empire. This is all the area that it covers. And notice a lot of it, you see Meshach and, and all that in Turkey. So when it says the Assyrian, it could still be someone from Turkey. Again, so we're talking about Antichrist army. Where's it going to come from? It's giving you, it's from the, the empire of Assyri the Assyrian. It doesn't have to be Syria itself. It also extended into Turkey. Let's go to Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah, Malachi. Let's go to the last book of the Old Testament and turn left. Go to Zechariah chapter 9, look at verse 12. This is an important one, I think. I like this one. I like these ones that are a little bit hidden. You have to find them. Uh, da, 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 da. Look at verse 12, yeah. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today I declare that I will restore double to you. For I have bent Judah my bow, fitted the bow with Ephraim, and raised up your sons, O Zion. Zion represents Israel. Against your sons, O Greece. And made you like the sword 
of a mighty man. Now you say Greece. Okay, so Israel's going to be against Greece. That word Greece in the uh, Hebrew language is the word Yavan. It's spelled J-A-V-A-N, but it's pronounced Yavan. Yavan was a descendant of Noah who came to live on the western coast of Asia Minor. I've got a map for it here in the area that became known as Ionia. So you can see it right up there at the top. That's uh, Javan or Yavan is on the west coast of Asia Minor or Turkey. So again, we see Mike, against your sons, O Greece, Yavan. And then it goes on and reads in verse 14, Then the Lord will be seen over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will blow the trumpet and go with whirlwinds from the south. The Lord of hosts will defend them. They shall devour and subdue with sling stones. They shall drink and roar as if with wine. They shall be filled with blood like basins, like the corners of the altar. The Lord their God will save them in that day as the flock of his people. For they shall be like the jewels of a crown lifted like a banner over his lamb. For how great is its goodness and how great its beauty. Grain shall make the young men thrive and new wine the young women. So God, again, is going to save them. So Islamic invasion of Israel is going to be led by Turkey. Again, my opinion. I'm going to throw that out. Led by Turkey involving Iran, Libya, Sudan, Syria, several other Islamic nations. Russia is not qualified to lead these nations, but Turkey is. Let me give you some more biblical support that we've talked about in summary of uh, Turkey's leadership role. Ezekiel 38, five of the eight locations, five of the eight locations are located firmly in Turkey. Magog, Meshach, Tubal, Togarma, and Gomer, all those are located in Turkey. In Revelation 17, the Turkish Ottoman Empire was the seventh empire that passed away and will come again. I talked about those here on the board. Remember, the Ottoman Empire overcame the Roman Empire because it was the Eastern Roman Empire uh, out of Constantinople, not the Western Roman Empire. So the Ottoman Empire is the one that will come back. We said it there in uh, chapter 17 of Revelation. says, five have fallen, one is, which is Rome, so he was talking about that when John was writing this in Revelation. The other has not yet come, and when he comes, he will continue for a short time. Ottoman Empire was, was dissolved after World War I. The beast that was and is not is also the eighth. So the Ottoman Empire that was and that went away is also the eighth and one of the seven. So the Antichrist kingdom has to be one of these seven, and it's the one that went away and returned. And I believe it's going to be the Ottoman Empire. It says one of the seven as going to perdition. The ten horns which you saw are the ten kings which received no kingdom as of yet, but they received authority. So this is what God's going to do. Again, God's going to be victorious over this Antichrist kingdom in the last day. Uh, let me go to the next one. Daniel chapter 9, another uh, example of why Turkey is going to be one of these, the people of the prince to come. The Antichrist will be the leader of the people that destroyed the temple. That was Legion 10. Turkey, Syria, and Arabia were all involved in that. Daniel 8 and Daniel 11, the Antichrist will come out of the one of the four horns. Remember one of the four horns with the Greek uh, empire. Alexander the Great died. 
Four of them grew up. One of them was the Seleucid Empire, and that became uh, the king of the north. I believe Turkey will lead that. Micah 5 and 6, we just talked about the Assyrian, which could be from the Assyrian Empire. Zechariah 9, Yavan, western coast of Turkey. Revelations 2 and 13, the throne of Satan is in Pergamos or Turkey. So again, that's a lot of summary there on why I believe biblically that we need to be watching for Turkey to be leading this Antichrist agenda. Because his desire, and you'll see this in the news right now, that Turkey's desire is to resurrect the Ottoman Empire and establish a caliphate. Now, what is the caliphate? If you'll see this word, if you do any study about it, you're like, Chad, I really don't care about any of this. I'm just trying to give you biblical information so that you can see what's happening and why we need to be aware. Is this going to happen in my lifetime? I think so. If it doesn't, hey, my kids, my grandkids... Watch this message back and be ready because I believe it's going to play out. A caliphate is a form of Islamic government led by a caliph, a person considered a political and religious successor to the prophet Muhammad and leader of the entire Muslim community. This is what I believe that Turkey is trying to do. Erdogan's goal is to revive the caliphate and he's establishing himself through these Islamic nations to set himself up as the leader. Used to be the prime minister, rigged it where now he became the president. Re he lost the election, redid the election, got rid of the people that opposed him. So now he's president, so now he's in control. It sounds like a dictator to me. So in, in the Quran, the caliph is used to describe the one who's representative of God on the earth. And this is the role of the Imam Mahdi or the Antichrist. He wants to be God on the earth. Now I'll give you some information here. The Mahdi in Islamic traditions is prophesied to be a political and military world leader unparalleled by any other throughout the entire history. Until the Ottoman Empire was disbanded in 1923, the Turks controlled the west coast of Saudi Arabia, including the cities of Mecca, Medina, and Jeddah. With the rise of the Islamist AKP party in Turkey, many Turks are yearning for the day when they once again control the Arabian Peninsula. I'm going to throw this out. I always have way too much information than what I have time to talk about. Turkey and Saudi Arabia right now are competing for the leadership of the Sunni Muslim world. It used to be, you remember September 11th? September 11th, I think it was 13 of the 15, I can't remember, of the people involved, all came from Saudi Arabia used to be that Saudi Arabia was the centerpiece of radical Islam. Now, under this new leader, the prince in Saudi, Saudi's taking a more political general role. Now they're becoming friendly with China, they're becoming friendly with other places, and they're not so much pushing, pushing the Islamic agenda as they are pushing the Saudi Arabian agenda. What's best for them financially? What's happening is that's creating some rub between the other Islamic states. Iran and, and Turkey, they're seeing that, and now Turkey wants to control Saudi Arabia again. That was part of the Ottoman Empire, and they believe that Saudi Arabia is turning soft and turning their back on, on the Muslim world, and so they believe they're the ones to come in and restore that. So now we've got this tradition going on of the Mahdi coming to power. And I'll give you some information about this. Islamic tradition speaks of his calling to convert Christians and Jews to Islam. Here's, again, when I talk about this, I'm not speaking against Muslims, people. Can't be against people. 
People sometimes don't know. People, there's people in Christianity that don't know certain things, and, or maybe they say they're Christians, but they don't really know about it. There's people that could call themselves Muslims that may not know the agenda of the true nation of Islam, or jihad, the ultimate goal. But here's some things. I'll give you uh, Ayatollah Ibrahim Amini clearly articulates this vision says the Mahdi will offer the religion of Islam to the Jews and Christians. If they accept, it will, they will be spared. Otherwise, they will be killed. Khaldun, uh, again, I'm butchering the pronunciation, I apologize, but a famous 14th century Islamic historian and philosopher says of jihad, in the Muslim community, the holy war is a religious duty. Because of the universalism of the Muslim mission and the obligation to convert everybody to Islam, either by persuasion or by force, therefore the caliphate, the spiritual, the royal government and military authority are united in Islam so that the person in charge can devote the available strength to both of them at the same time. So again, this is what we're seeing. We're seeing the nations of the Middle East rise up in unity around a, a radical Islamic agenda. Now again, do all uh, people of Islam want to kill all the Jews? No, it's probably not true. But is it the ultimate goal of the Quran and the writings of jihad? People will try and take it out of context. They will try and read it. If you will read and study the Quran, the base roots of the agenda is to eliminate Israel off the face of the map, eliminate the Jews and the Christians. That's the ultimate base goal of true Raw Islam. Now, when we see that, then now we got to know where we'd want to align ourselves. So we believe there's come, Jesus is returning as the Messiah. So I'm going to give you here in the end, I've got these in your sermon notes. I'm not going to go through these individually. I can't remember how many that I have. Side-by-side comparison of the biblical prediction of the Antichrist coming and the Islamic prediction of the Mahdi coming. Here's what I want you to see out of the two of those that we're talking about the exact same person. Islam is believing in the Mahdi coming, who's going to be a military political leader, who's going to resurrect them to a place of authority, and is going to be like their Messiah, the Mahdi. The Bible talks about the Antichrist coming, a political uh, and military leader who's going to rise to power and oppose Christianity. And I want to show you through these comparisons the, the Bible's prediction and the eschatology of the Antichrist and the Islamic eschatology of the Mahdi go together. They're talking about the same person. So Islam is looking for the Mahdi. They're wanting to have the Mahdi. They're wanting to have the mark because they believe the mark sets them apart. So this is why we've got to educate and train and talk to people. Listen, we don't want to receive the mark of the beast because that's going to separate us from God. They believe it's going to separate them from the Jews and the Christians and bring them salvation instead of damnation. Again, a lot of these I could go through. The Antichrist spirit specifically denies the Trinity, the incarnation, the substitute. Here's something a lot of Christians don't know. Allah and God are not the same. A lot of people have believed that we in, in the Islamic faith, we got the same God, we just differ on Jesus. No. Allah and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are not the same. I re- again, they recognize that their connection with Abraham, but that does not mean Allah, who they worship, is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
because the God of Allah is going against Jews and Christians. So it cannot be the same. cannot be the same God. But Islam does not believe in the Trinity. They just believe in Allah. So they do not believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That is blasphemy to them. They don't believe that there's a substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross. Again, I give all of that to you there. The Antichrist will be a worldwide political leader. I don't know how many I have on there, but I want to just give all those to you. And you can read through those. If you don't have sermon notes, you can get them on our website and you can download those and look at them. Now, again, why do I talk about this? Chad, are you, are you concerned about being antagonistic or coming against people? I'm not coming against people. I'm just trying to teach the Bible. I'm not against people that are, are Muslim right now. I'm not against them personally. This is nothing against you personally. I'm just saying this is what the Bible says and this is what I think is going to happen through the Antichrist agenda. It's because if people don't know the truth, how are they going to believe? So don't hate people. Don't bash on people. We're coming against all Muslims. No, we're not. We're coming against the teachings and the religion of Islam and we're loving people. It's just like we can be against sin and not be against people. We can be against homosexuality and not be against the homosexual. We can be against, we can be against fornication and not be against the boyfriend, girlfriend who are having sex together. We, we can be against things. We can be against racism. We can be against these issues that are going on and not hate people. That's why we have to have ourselves in a biblical standpoint and not a political standpoint. That's why I can speak against the president's policies and not be against him as a person. We just, hey, we're not going to align with him. I don't care what your party is. I don't care what you live. I'm going to be loyal to Jesus. I'm going to be loyal to the Bible. I'm not loyal, loyal to a party. I will be loyal to him. And this is where we have to set our place and set our, our position. So what I want to do today, what I want to do is give you some ideas about this Antichrist army, this eighth kingdom that's coming. He literally names names. Persia, Iran, then we got Cush, which should be, again, going down into the, the Egypt and Somalia and Sudan, that area of that, and Libya. All of these are extreme Muslim nations. All of them at Turkey's trying to form alliance with them, uh, and Watch, there's a war going on right now between Armenia and Azerbaijan, which is just north. Uh, I don't know if they've got that map of the Middle East there at the end. I, I, get, I could talk about this stuff for a long time. So watch that. Armenia is one of the last Christian nations. Greece right now is a Christian nation. And Greece, Turkey is against Greece. They are quabbling over land in the Mediterranean right now. So watch the conflict between Greece and Turkey Greece is the gateway into Europe, and Turkey would love to gain ground there and take out Greece. Armenia is a Christian nation, Azerbaijan, Muslim nation. Turkey is supporting Azerbaijan militarily and trying to get them to, uh, to win that battle. So we just got to watch ourselves. It's playing out for us right on the news. It's right here available. So I just want us to be aware, and we can know what God wants to do as Christians. We're not against people, but we're prepared. We're going to support Israel. We're going to stand with Israel. We're not for a divided state. We're not for giving Palestine its own state. That is the nation of Israel. God put out the boundaries of Israel. He put that in the Bible. He says your river, your, the river Jordan will be your eastern boundary. Not going past that. That will be your eastern boundary. He didn't put, give them any other boundary. So we're going to support what God wants for them and not what people want. So this is why we set ourselves in affection for that. Can we just pray? Erod's family, I know it's a lot of information, and maybe you're like, Chad, I really, I really don't care about all this stuff. I know there are people that do care, 
and I know it's helping you to understand what the Bible says about these end times. And I, I want us to be prepared in a way that when we're watching the news, whether the news is telling us all the truth or not, I can go to my Bible and I can say, hey, I can know the news. I know the news says this country's okay. We haven't even got into China, talking about China's involvement from the east and coming. We, we, I, don't, I don't care what the news says. I want to know what God says. When God says to these nations, I'm going to put a hook in your jaw and I'm going to lead you right out of my nation Israel. I'm going to rain hailstones down on you. I'm going to defeat you. Then I want to be on the side that the Lord is on. So I want you to pray with me. Whose side are you on? Are you on the Lord's side? Are you on Team Jesus? If you're watching, our heart's desire is to connect you with Jesus from all roads of life, whatever you're on. I want you to know he's not angry with you. If you're watching right now and you're of the Muslim faith, I want you to know that we love you. We genuinely love you. We're not hating on people or trying to preach against them individually. We're just trying to preach the truth of God's word and what he wants to do in your life. So it's not anti-people. I realize it's going to come across that way. I realize people are going to twist it and say that's what we're doing. But the heart is to know that there is only one way to God, and that's through Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God who died on the cross for our sins. There are not many ways to God, you'll hear in the politics and people in the news. There are not many ways to get to heaven. There's only one, the way, the truth, and the life, and his name is Jesus. So I believe that the the world needs to hear truth. I believe people are wanting to hear truth. I believe people are begging to hear people that are courageous and bold to declare the truth that there is only one way. That's to give your life to Christ and follow his word. So I want to give you that opportunity to do it now. Not to join our church to be about us, but to be about his kingdom. Would you pray this prayer with me? Right where you are, just ask him to come into your life. Realize that without Jesus... We're all lost in sin, you and me alike. I don't deserve heaven. I didn't do anything to deserve it, but Jesus, but Jesus, but Jesus. He died for the Muslim, the Buddhist. He died for the Christian, the the non-Christian, the atheist. He died for everyone. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I believe there's a pausing. There's a waiting in the world because God is giving time for people to repent. He loves the Democrat. He loves the Republican. He died for us all. Let's unite around the cross of Christ. That's where we come together. It's about Him and what He did for us. When He comes back, there'll be no political parties. It will be one kingdom. The kingdom of Jesus. The kingdom of the one who the was slain. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.